Welcome to the View from the Front. My name is Stan. Hope everyone is doing amazing out there from wherever you're joining us. This is the November 2nd edition. Again, thanks for joining us. It's been kind of a heavy week, hasn't it? All the just horrific tragedies happening by the dozens, if not hundreds, of incidents per day, especially in the Middle East and in Israel and in Gaza. And so it's easy to let all of that affect you. And earlier this week, I kind of just had to push it away a little bit. But you know, like we can't let that get us down. There are a few quick little things I wanted to share that I think, you know, just from a biblical perspective that reminds us we shouldn't let all that weight on us. We all have things that we need to do, people we need to take care of, and there's very little we can do about what's happening there. So we can't let all that weight on us. But I want to share just a few quick little things on that, and then we'll get into the show. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, every week I do three things. I cover hotspots happening around the world. I attempt to unite the country. And finally, I always share a few words of encouragement. But it's been such a heavy week that I thought I'd just start with a few words of encouragement. And so let me begin by sharing this one. In 2 Timothy There's this line, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then in Galatians, there's another good line, and it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then also in John, I wanted to share one more. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So there's just like three quick biblical perspectives, but you could also share perspectives from psychology or modern psychology and science. But the bigger point is we know that we, especially in this modern era that we live in, we see video and audio that 50 years ago, would have never been seen. I recall a historian saying that had Americans during the civil rights era in the 60s seen if Twitter had been around then, if social media had been around, and we had seen even more of the violence. There was already enough of the riots and the acts of terror that happened that made it to mainstream media. But back then there were editors and producers who kept some of the most heinous crimes and acts from being seen. And that, in an odd way, kind of kept the country from completely ripping apart. It was certainly in a dangerous enough condition as it was. But these days, it is really hard for us, especially for the type of folks who listen to this show, who keep up with things. We've all been watching as Ukraine has struggled for more than a year against a vicious onslaught from the Russian invasion. An unprovoked Russian invasion. Just incredible hardship. It's been horrible tragedies on both sides. And in the past couple of weeks, all of the just the horror and tragedies that have happened inside Israel and inside Gaza as attack and counterattack and all of that. I'm not 
trying to take sides. I'm not even making any claims either way. I'm not going to even get into those kinds of debates. It's just a lot of suffering. And so we get really weighed down by these things that are happening thousands of miles away. And just a reminder that be careful what you are ingesting. Don't take too much of this stuff in. You, you can't take too much. And it's very hard to let this stuff go. And so we have to balance what we take in. And we also have to control how we react. Which is why the first verse I read was, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because I've seen a lot of anger out there on social media. And I mean a lot. And that's going to be one of the things I talk about today as we get into the news. But we need to just breathe and just remember who we are and remember all of our responsibilities that we have. And we cannot let these things weigh us down too much because we have family, friends, community, that need you. You got people that need you. And so I've gotten some emails and texts and stuff from people of, Stan, what do you think is happening here? What about that? Or what do you think is Israel going to do this? Or, oh, U.S. bases are being attacked. And I'll, I'll get into all of this stuff. But we just cannot deal. We have enough. I mean, life is hard. You guys know this. Life is hard by itself. And when you start adding in additional anxiety and fear, and we know how the media ramps this stuff up with the flashing graphics, with the constant images, the, could this lead to America doing this? Lots of questions. You ever notice they love to use questions? Could this? Will that mean this? Will the, usually the answer is no, but if you don't ask that question, then people don't stick around past the commercial break to hear the answer which is never an answer anyway. It's a guess at best most of the time, or often, it's wrong, which is why I try to put some informed opinion out there. But I digress. I think you guys know where I'm coming from on this. And so we'll just let's just get right into the show itself. I want to start by addressing the situation in Israel and Gaza. I had said in the last episode... Guys, make sure you're signed up. If a ground war happens, I'll definitely be putting out a newsletter about it. I'll keep you updated. That was the plans. Ground war happens, or at least the initial stages. I'm really tracking it in The Economist and The Washington Post and other things. And I put out a post on social media, and I'm like, well, is that enough info to do a newsletter? And keep in mind, this entire time... The past few weeks, I really went back to studying all the conflict in Israel, the wars in the set in the sixties and the forties. I go back and I'm just trying to get my arms around it all because I want to be really well informed on this. And I had a decent grasp, probably a better than average grasp for most Americans because I love history and I've read a lot about Israel in that area. And but I really wanted to get my arms around it. And then the ground invasion happens. And simultaneously, as you all know, the rhetoric 
across social media in the United States, in Europe, has just been over the top from both sides. And the anger is real. And the wounds are deep. And they are... They have been there for a long time, and so a lot of this has really been dug up and reopened. These wounds have been reopened. And so I was thinking about this newsletter that I was going to put out of a breaking news one, so to speak, about this in Ground War. And the more I thought about it, it just didn't quite feel right just covering that immediately. I started reading a lot of comments. I read a ton of comments on social media when you read a post. I read almost all the comments. And reading those comments and thinking on it and sleeping on it for a few days, I have decided that I am not going to get into the weeds on the conflict in Israel and Gaza. It's too... I'm not sure the right word. I guess traumatic. There's too many just challenging, almost impossible situations there. It's such a complicated puzzle. And I read a lot of comments, and I see how the focus is increasingly being taken off of Ukraine. And I see just the impossible, almost, puzzle that's involving Gaza and Israel and their history. And I've just decided that I'm not entering that fray. There's... The media is all over it right now. It's not like it's hard to find stuff on it. It's all over social media, and I don't plan on covering it. And I want to explain a little further why, but I think the thing that summarizes it so well was actually a short essay on Substack from Dan Rather. And I just want to read a few paragraphs from that because it sets up why I'm not going to be covering this. And I know that may disappoint some of y'all. And for those who disappoint, I do apologize. But I'm going to keep my focus on the larger, wider, strategic challenges that the United States faces. And those are in Ukraine with Russia. It's also in the Pacific with China. We cover those a lot. That is the much larger, broader, more important, in my opinion, situation And additionally, Israel is a strong country. It can fend for itself. It's just not quite the same situation or as important. But let me just share what I wanted to share from this essay from Dan Rather. Again, he wrote this, I think, two days ago. Let me just read a few paragraphs. Quote, Not every problem has an easy answer, or even an answer at all. It is fitting that the legendary tale of the Gordian Knot took place in the Middle East. For millennia, the region has been a tangle of war-torn ambition and animosity. It has been the crossroads of continents, the cradle of religions, and the graveyard of would-be empires. These are the ingredients for conflict. To walk the land is to stride across layer upon layer of civilizations, long gone and largely forgotten. The runes teach hard lessons about hubris, exaltation, and defeat. 
They are interwoven narratives that often begin and end in war. You can't tell a story about the Middle East without reckoning with what preceded it. History always creeps in. In this current conflict, we can once more hear the thundering echoes of the past. Where do we begin? It's a deceptively easy question to ask, but the choice one makes shapes everything that comes next. Do we begin centuries ago or more recently? Do we talk about the Holocaust, the partition, Palestinian statehood, the failed peace deals, the settlements, the assassinations, the role of the Arab states, Iran, Hezbollah, the failures of Israeli governments, anti-Semitism, double standards, and on and on. Whatever framing we choose, there is always something important that lies outside our view, but we can be sure that whatever error we choose to focus on will include strife and death, and we can be doubly sure that it will be seen through radically different lenses, depending on whom we ask. Beware of anyone who speaks in absolutes about the Middle East, especially when it comes to the certainty of their beliefs. And so those were the words, again, of Dan Rather. He's obviously the highly distinguished news person who spent 30-plus years in the news business. I wanted to share that because it so perfectly summed up kind of what I was trying to get my arms around, which is where do we begin on who is right or who is wrong? And it's all just such a complicated mess, is it not? People have been fighting and trying to find a solution for decades, even in our recent history. And even there, where do you begin on who was right, who was wrong? So I just see the Israel-Gaza situation as a political situation that has been intractable for decades. I see no easy solution, and I see very little to gain by beating that horse every single week. And so I've just decided that unless I were to change my mind or something vastly different changes, I'm just not going to beat that horse every single week. So I hope you guys can understand that decision. I hope most of you agree with it. I know you can find news on this stuff elsewhere, but I just don't think it's in the good of either my emotional health or for the people who will be listening to constantly every single week reopen that wound and try to pick sides on who's doing what right and who isn't. I just don't see a lot of good that comes from that. And so that's what I've decided. I truly do believe, guys, that the fight that matters is happening in Ukraine. The eyes of the world, but especially of China, are on that continuing struggle in Ukraine with China's friend and almost ally of Russia, definitely a somewhat strategic partner. China is watching Russia. And China is watching the West and America 
It's watching Europe, but it's watching the West. All of that combined to see if we falter, to see if we grow weary. And I just firmly believe that if we take our eyes off of that fight, if we take our eyes off of that struggle, I strongly believe that potentially tens of thousands, if not millions, are going to be affected by that decision. If China does not encounter economic resistance, if it does not see a strength to our warnings as they encroach on some of the islands in the Pacific, as they eye Taiwan, as they look to expand and do what they're planning to do with their military, I just see nothing but horrific consequences for the world. And so to me, that's why I'm going to continue to focus on that strategic situation in Ukraine and in the strategic situation of how China is growing increasingly ambitious and militaristic. They're also increasingly forceful. We cover this every single week almost. So that's where I'm going to keep my focus. I actually do think most of the listeners agree with everything I've just said. If you guys have strong disagreements, definitely email me. I'd love to hear your input. If you agree with it, I'd love to hear that as well, because I will probably hear more from the folks who disagree. And so, as so often happens with decisions, you hear from the upset people more than you do from the people who support whatever you're doing. But would love your feedback on that. I'm pretty sure my decision isn't changing, but if, you know, enough feedback came in, maybe maybe I'd change my mind. But I always want input from you guys. I always tell the close supporters, the folks who email me from time to time, that, you know, I need help keeping the, the car between the lines. So if I veer one way or the other too much, I'm completely a normal mortal human who makes mistakes and I need your guys help to make sure I keep it going and keep it straight between the lines as much as I can I will always keep my principles I will always do what I think is right but as much as possible I need your guys help to make sure I'm doing what I need to be doing this after all is a community and that's how strong communities work before I move away from Israel and I apologize that I had this article saved a couple of days ago. Can't find it. I think I'm getting old. <laughs> no secret there. But And then I just spent some time researching and still can't seem to find it. But just as an update on drone attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East, I was trying to decide whether to do a section on that. But not a lot has happened since the last podcast. And I had read this unbelievable article that showed the pace of drone attacks in the past I believe it was like five or six months or so. And while they did step up a bit following the crisis in Israel, as some of these Iranian outlier groups, so to speak, that are funded and supported by Iran, launched some attacks, I still remain where I was, which is, one, I don't believe Iran wants this to go into a full-scale conflict, and two, reading that article, the number of drone attacks actually aren't 
nearly as escalated or high as you might expect from what has been happening. And we have increasingly been positioning additional air resources, additional troops, etc. there. And so I still, of course I could be wrong, but I still think that things aren't going to explode in the Middle East. And so that's my short update there. Appreciate all the people who have emailed and who are worried about that. But I've just got to follow my heart and what I feel is going to happen, or in this case, not happen there. And that's where we stand in the Middle East, as far as I can see. Okay, so after the short break, we're going to get into the news on Ukraine, where currently not a lot has happened in the past week, which is, of course, easy for me to say because I'm not over there fighting. But as far as ground gained, not been a lot the last week. But the bigger issue, and it is a big one, is Ukraine funding. And that fight isn't happening on the battlefield. It's happening in Congress. And so we're going to go in depth a bit on that because it is absolutely critical, the fight that's going to happen in the coming days and weeks inside Congress, and it's going to have worldwide implications. And so we're going to go into that some and mainly focus on that. But like I said, let's take this short break, and then we'll return, and I'll get into it. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to support what I'm doing, you can sign up on my Substack page to help support the show. For $5 per month, you can help me grow this into something even bigger. And I think by doing that in a weird way, you'll help contribute to me pulling off something I really want to do, but at a much larger level. You'll help unify our country, you'll help educate our country, and ultimately, you'll help more people become more engaged and better informed. And we all know studies show that more informed, more engaged citizens lead to a better government. And ultimately, that will lead to a better country. I really do have some big dreams for this platform, including increased frequency, but I do need some help justifying that kind of time commitment. No pressure, though. And if you do sign up, you can come and go as you please. Details for signing up can be found on my Substack page and in the episode notes. Thanks in advance for your support. I really do appreciate it. So, the fight to fund Ukraine. That's obviously going to be happening in the halls of Congress in the coming days and weeks. And I wanted to go into the weeds just a bit on that. And I wanted to share, obviously everyone knows a new speaker was selected after several weeks of fighting inside the GOP conference. And what I want to present to you guys today is a couple of different views. An optimistic view and a pessimistic one. And part of what I'm going to share is from a comment I read. And I really wish I could have found a way to get a hold of this individual. I tried to... They have a name listed in the comments. I wanted to ask their permission to name them and give them credit for it because it's very well-informed commentary. But I couldn't find them on Twitter. I couldn't find them anywhere else. I just found where the Substack comment was. And there was just no way I could seem to find in any kind of internet searching of a way to get in touch with them, get their permission. So I'm just going to read the comments without naming the person. But again, it's very informed commentary and interestingly so this will initially be the 
optimistic or pro-Ukraine positive side of it. Clearly, Mike Johnson has said and has voted in the past against Ukraine funding. Mike Johnson is certainly someone that President Trump supported being selected as the leader. And so there's huge fear, I think is a fair word, but definitely increasing concern that Mike Johnson is not going to allow funding to Ukraine. And he's already trying to separate a funding bill that the Biden administration wanted to pass, which included funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine, funding for the border. And so Mike Johnson's already saying, no, let's just vote on Ukraine and let's separate Israel. Let's separate this other stuff. And of course, that is why a lot of people are concerned. But let me just share part of this comment. Again, I can't name the person. But he mentions this. While Mike Johnson is horrible with no silver lining for Ukraine, he's not necessarily a huge problem in this context. Three quarters of House members want aid to Ukraine, along with an even greater proportion of senators including leadership in both parties, and some committed Trumpists like Lindsey Graham, and so does President Biden. So it's not easy to stop that. So there's a kind of a super optimistic view. Now, the counter view mentioned by someone else is Trump literally pretty much controls the Republicans in the House. And he, obviously, Trump sunk the nomination of Tom Emmer for Speaker, completely sunk that, and he did control Mike Johnson getting elected. Now, some people say, well, he wanted Jim Jordan elected, and he didn't have that control, but Trump certainly has a lot of power in the House. So the pessimistic view is that Trump will try to torpedo this Ukraine aid. So that's a bit concerning. Now, one comment that was also mentioned, which I thought was very interesting, Now, you could say this is kind of cynical, and it kind of gets in the weeds, but let me share this, because it's worth just, I think when you hear this idea, it's like, man, this might be exactly what Mike Johnson tries to do. And so this commenter says, if the House and Senate pass different versions of the same bill to support Ukraine, they go into conference and work out their differences. The cynical thing for Johnson to do is to tacitly allow his negotiators to acquiesce to the Senate version with some minor changes, then preserve his own purity by voting against the bill. And then he goes on to say, I really doubt that Mike Johnson is a true believer in surrendering Ukraine to Putin rather than just an opportunist wanting to placate his base and Trump. And he'll want to make resistance to Ukraine aid the central issue of his speakership. And so he goes on to talk about that. And so I thought, you know, that that is pretty perceptive. And that would be a way that Mike Johnson could actually, quote, oppose Ukraine aid while actually, and vote against it, while actually allowing it to pass. So I think that's got to be our big hope is that if the, he can't get on board with it, then he will might be cynical enough to do that. I will say he has made one comment that was somewhat 
pro-Ukraine, but I don't know if that was just posturing. And to me, actions speak louder than words. And so, historically, he has not supported Ukraine funding. Let me just end with two opposing points on Mike Johnson. And of course, part of the issue is Mike Johnson is a relatively new congressman with very little record. He's barely known by most people. But a Washington Post article has a couple of facts I wanted to share. And again, you can end this on a positive note or a negative note. On the one hand, Mike Johnson has an F rating from Republicans for the Ukraine Advocacy Group. And he has consistently voted with a minority of House Republicans against sending money. So there's your negative point of view. But he's also made some comments that, like I said, kind of implies that aid to Ukraine is important. And in fact, he recently said, we can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there. And it would probably encourage and empower China to perhaps make a move on Taiwan. This is what Johnson said. He said, he goes on to say, we have these concerns. We're not going to abandon them. And the Washington Post points out, Johnson actually brought up Ukraine funding in this interview, which he did with Hannity, Sean Hannity on Fox News. Johnson brought it up himself. So, again, words versus actions, I'm not sure. But he does have a cynical play where he could even vote against it and get it through. The good news is the president wants this to happen. The Senate wants this to happen. And if enough Republicans can pair themselves up with Democrats in the House, hopefully they can find a way to get this funded. It is desperately needed and crucial for Ukraine, clearly. And so I'll keep you guys posted on that. But I did want to get into the weeds about that just a bit. This, again, though, is one of those topics. I would love to hear your all's thoughts on it. If you've read an article, if you have a view of how you think it might get passed or how he might actually torpedo it, or if you have any insight into him, if you've covered him, read about him. A lot of people are trying to figure out who he is, what his real views are. There's certainly some religious stuff in his background, but if you've got some insight into the Ukraine feelings for him, Hey, send them along. I appreciate every news tip that I get. One final update on this. After listening to that section, I decided to end on an optimistic note because I'm naturally an optimistic person, and I think people come to the news, or at least I hope people come to this news, with a different, I guess, hope than you get everywhere else. It seems most news just tries to beat you down or scare you, or somehow grip you with clickbait to make you listen. And I want to be the exact opposite of that. So after further thought, even though I just said I was pretty much done with this topic, let me share one final clip from Mitt Romney. He's obviously a U.S. senator. He is going to be retiring, but he is often the critical swing vote because he has voted with Democrats some. He has voted with Republicans some. But he is definitely powerful in that he swings one way or the other also he has nothing to lose because he is retiring and I want and his comments are very strong but he's also often right about what the Senate will do because and ultimately the Senate is a 
club of basically old men, as even several senators have said, even though there are women there, but it's basically mostly older white men. It's a club. They rarely attack each other. There's a lot of there's a lot more decorum in the Senate than there is in the House. But I wanted to let you hear what Mitt Romney said about the Ukraine funding as a way to just end on an optimistic note. And I should say, if you really pinned me down and said, Stan, what will happen? I actually think Ukraine funding will happen. I think they will find a way. I think the Biden administration, especially with the help of Senator McConnell and Schumer, I think they are smarter than this newly elected House Speaker, and I think they will find a way. So I actually think it will happen. But let's end with an optimistic comment by a pretty senior U.S. Senator. And this, again, is Mitt Romney. If we're going to have a piece of legislation that actually becomes law, it's going to include support for Ukraine as well as Israel. Uh, There may be other elements that are attached to it but uh, it's uh, not acceptable to abandon Ukraine. There may be an effort on the part of a small vocal minority to try and wag the dog, if you will, uh, but that's not going to happen, I don't believe. There you go. The words of Mitt Romney. Now, before we get to the motivation and wisdom section, I have to share two more political things. And I put some thought into this, and I didn't want to. It just so happens they're both about Republicans. Now, in a perfect world... I like to be straight down the middle, and I like to beat on whoever needs to be beat on. Unfortunately, this week, both of the clips I'm about to share involve Republicans, because I'm sorry, two Republicans in particular are being absolutely ridiculous, and they deserve what is about to happen. The first clip comes from the front runner in the GOP right now. Referring, of course, to President Donald Trump or former President Donald Trump, although he usually refers to himself as President Donald Trump because he doesn't want to concede that he lost the election, despite overwhelming evidence that he did, including from his attorney general and lots and lots of courts, many of which had judges that he appointed himself. But I digress. Regardless, the front runner for the Republican nomination in a public speech that he was giving made the following comments that I'm about to play, saying he would not honor NATO treaty obligations that have been signed, that have maintained peace for decades. Now, we can have a debate about whether we should be in NATO, whether NATO is important, On and on. I would like to think that after Russia invaded Ukraine, this is not something that really needs to be debated. But what I will not tolerate is when you have a treaty in place, the president cannot just decide on a whim, regardless of which party that president is in, what he or she will do. Because treaties are in place, they are approved by the Senate. They are in place as an act of deterrence. Our foreign policy, for the past, at least going back to World War II, 70-ish years, our foreign policy is literally built upon the foundation of treaties and other countries knowing where we stand 
and deterrence being in place, letting other countries know, you will not invade South Korea. You will not invade Europe with NATO countries. You will not do this or you will not do that. And if you do, here's what's going to happen. We put this in black and white. We have treaty obligations. And let's not forget, after September 11th, NATO countries went with us into Afghanistan to help hunt down Osama bin Laden and to stabilize the country. An impoverished country with high illiteracy in an almost impossible situation. NATO brothers and sisters went there and shed blood. And yet we have the front runner in a speech that he prepared make the comment that I'm about to play. Again, this was not an interview where he had some gotcha question he wasn't prepared for, where he was caught off guard, said something he didn't think. It's a comment he makes in a speech, and it follows many comments that he's made in previous years, some of which even when he was president and trying to pressure NATO to pay more. He had lots of questions about how important was NATO back then. And back then, before Russia invaded Ukraine, he could have made a little bit more of a case about how important NATO was. But you can't make that case anymore. And this comment was made in a speech, and it absolutely needs to be shared and shared widely. Here's the comment. That he would have betrayed our Article 5 obligations to our NATO allies if they didn't pay up or something. Listen to Donald. And I remember the head of a country stood up and said, does that mean that if Russia attacks my country, you will not be there? That's right. That's what it means. I will not protect you. Really? Wow. Again, I don't even know what else to say to that. I just strongly feel that those were shockingly irresponsible comments. And let us not forget that when President Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, how Republicans talked about how weak that made America look. Even though President Trump was the one who wanted and started the plan to get us out. We won't go into that. But let us not also forget that how weak America looked when we sold out under Trump our forces, our friends in Syria and northern Iraq, the Kurds, we sold them out. We looked weak when Turkey advanced down and began fighting with them. We abandoned them under the Trump administration. That was broadly condemned from both parties, bipartisan anger at that decision. Let's go back, and again, I'm just showing that I don't care who the president is. We'll go back to President Obama. Remember the infamous red line of how if Syria used chemical weapons, we would do something. Syria used chemical weapons. We did nothing. President Obama looked like a laughingstock. America looked weak. So I don't care the party. Almost to some degree... I don't want to overstate. I almost was going to say, I don't care where it is in the world. But I guess you could argue that there are parts of the world that aren't as strategically as important. But my bottom line is this, is if we have a treaty obligation in place and we don't support it, then let's go through the proper electoral and legislative process to remove it. Sell your idea get Congress to begin to move themselves out of it. Most of them you can't immediately leave. 
It takes months, if not a year or two. But we can begin that process. We can have that debate. I'm okay with all of that. I want that. That's what we do in America. That's what democracy is all about. What I'm not okay with is a president just blandly throwing out that they're not going to follow treaty obligations. And I said president, I should say even a candidate. I don't even want a candidate to say that. Again, there's a process to get out of treaty obligations. Just saying something on a stump speech, that's not the way to do it. Now the second thing I have to share is the news coming out of the Marine Corps, what happened to the Commandant of the Marine Corps, and what is continuing to happen across our national security posture as Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville holds up appointments. Let me just share this clip. It's a short one from CNN because it perfectly describes what's happening. And the commandant of the Marine Corps, General Eric Smith, suffered an apparent heart attack, according to reporting from the New York Times. The Senate only confirmed Smith for that job late last month, or last month, I should say, but he's actually been doing two jobs for months, his new one and the old one, because his would-be deputy hasn't been confirmed. And that is because Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama is blocking the Senate from what are usually perfunctory votes of grouped nominations of hundreds of general and flag officers across the military. He says he's doing it because he opposes the Pentagon's abortion travel policy, a policy, by the way, that these generals and admirals had nothing to do with adopting because that's the purview of civilian leaders of the military. Now, to be clear, we have no way of knowing that the stress of these demands contributed to General Smith's health emergency, but safe to say it did not help. Smith himself telling the Marine Corps Times last month, quote, it is not a sustainable thing when the last thing you do is flip your computer off at 1130 at night and you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning. General Smith is now receiving care, according to the Marine Corps, as they scramble to fill the void. Because as I mentioned, Smith does not have a confirmed deputy. The Senate hasn't confirmed an assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, hat tip Tommy Tuberville. The senior most general at Marine Corps HQ, Lieutenant General Karsten Heckel, is now filling in for Smith. And Heckel was already doing two jobs because, yet again, Tommy Tuberville's holds, according to Military.com. So now General Heckel's responsible for, what, four jobs? The whole affair actually so confusing that the Marine Corps announced that Heckel would be acting commandant and then had to correct itself and say that Heckel would just be performing the duties of the commandant. That is not a flex of military strength at a time when the U.S. is trying to stop the war between Israel and Hamas from ballooning into a broader conflict in the Middle East. There you go. I won't go on too much of a rant about this, but just clearly while we're trying to reposition our forces and alliances in the Pacific, while we're repositioning troops in the Middle East, as a reminder, there we've moved a couple thousand Marines nearby. I'm sure the Commandant was under unbelievable stress. It's just very frustrating that the culture war, which I get those who feel strongly about it, but just doesn't seem like this is the way to fight that culture war, to hold up promotions, to literally weaken our military 
there's just got to be a better way to fight that battle, in my opinion, whether it's campaign hard on it and try to change our government in 2024. I mean, I can think of other ways, but holding up all of these appointments, I know that Senator Tuberville has said that he thinks it's top-heavy and we already have too many generals, but I just can't see that doing what he's doing is a good thing. So, again, I'll end the rant there without going on much of a rant, but it's just very frustrating that we're in this situation. And that one senator, I mean, you want to talk about minority rule, one senator out of a hundred is holding up all of these. That's just crazy. I don't know how you can run a government when one person of any party, of any chamber, has that much power. And so I hope the Senate will change its rules and its etiquette and all the silly practices they have going on right now where a single person can hold all all of all of those promotions and all of the things that need to be done. It's just crazy. It's definitely not a way that a strong country should run its military. All right, let's get to the best part of the show, the motivation and wisdom section. This is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I think all of us could use a few words of encouragement. So let's get to the first one. If you don't believe there's something better, you won't try for something better. Again, if you don't believe there's something better, you won't try for something better. Here's the next one. Change your language to what if it does work out? Believe in possibilities. Think of the best case scenario. Retraining your mind will lift you out of the overthinking, stress, and worry of negative thoughts. Change begins with your mindset. Shift it. Switch it. There's another good quote. Here's the next one. Focus more on the people who inspire you rather than annoy you. You'll get much further in life. Again, focus more on the people who inspire you rather than annoy you. You'll get much further in life. Next one. You become what you believe. Again, you become what you believe. Next one. Mindset matters a lot. You better improve it. Again, mindset matters a lot. You better improve it. This next one goes along with the beginning of the show when I talked about the emotional weight of all the fighting that's happening in Israel and Gaza. Again, here's this quote. Ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. So don't let what happens around you get inside and weigh you down. It's a good one. Here's another good one to end on. Remember, quotes won't work unless you do. Again, quotes won't work unless you do. I always like to end with a couple or so from the Bible. I'm going to reread those three I read in the beginning because I think it's a good one to end the episode with. First one is from 2 Timothy. 
For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So as I said in the beginning of the episode, let's make sure we're remembering our self-control for sure, but also our love. Let's not let this ugliness happening in the Middle East and certainly even around our country and on social media. Don't allow that the ugliness and the hatred and the angry words. Don't let that, you know, disturb your spirit. Remember love. Remember self-control. The next one was from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then the last one from John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then a sentence or so on it reads, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So those are three good ones to end on. Hey guys, I really appreciate you joining us again today. If you want to reach out to me, my email is listed in the Substack notes. I always answer pretty quickly. I always appreciate all emails, whether they're complaints, compliments, or even news tips, or just saying hi. You can reach out to me. I try to answer every email relatively quickly. Also, if you want to subscribe, you can do that from the Substack notes as well. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. Thanks so much, guys. I'll catch you guys next week.